At the beginning of the year, we began a sermon series of sorts on rhythms for the Christian. And these rhythms flow from, we've said, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And they, when you practice these rhythms, they deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. So they flow out of your relationship with him, and they deepen your relationship with him. And these are sermons we're going to pick up on throughout the year. So last week, Pastor Rick preached excellently on the rhythm of prayer. We, we speak to God because he listens. And what a privilege that is. And this morning, we get to reflect on this rhythm of Bible reading. We read because God speaks. We read because God speaks. So open your Bibles to Matthew 7, 24 through 27. It's where we'll be looking. It's a Sermon on the Mount. It's on page 812 in your pew Bible. As you're turning there, little confession, in my Bible reading, I always kind of get bogged down in the prophets. I'm like, who is this talking to, Israel or Judah? Who's attacking who here? Assyrians, Babylonians, Medes and Persians, Chaldeans? Oh, those are the Babylonians. I can't ever keep it all straight. Is these, this promise, is this for now or later or both? It, and as I was reading Jeremiah recently, there's this section of history that is like, oh, thank you historical section I can read and understand a little easier. And it gives us insight into the way kings were hearing and treating God's word. In Jeremiah 36, Jeremiah's warning that there's Babylonian captivity is coming. And Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, reveals his attitude by, as he's reading the prophet of Jeremiah's scroll, he's just tearing it off and throwing it in the fire. Tearing it off and throwing it in the fire. Two chapters later, as the Babylonian army is coming, just as God said, Jeremiah warns anyone that stays in Jerusalem is going to die by the sword because the Chaldeans' army is coming. The Babylonians are coming. And they don't like his word. So they toss Jeremiah into a cistern, into a well. And later, Jeremiah is saved from that well. And he says in 38, verse 20, Obey the voice of the Lord in what I say to you, and it shall be well with you and your life shall be spared. And this is the recurring theme in the scriptures, that God speaks and says, obey, and it will be well with you. Your life shall be spared. They sound just like Jesus' words in our text. And I don't think any of you will tear out the pages of your Bible and burn them intentionally. I don't think you will take your Bible when you're tired of it and throw it in a well. I think you have enough regard for the book itself. But I do think sometimes we should take a moment to just examine our own attitude towards the Word and our own approach to the Lord. Maybe perhaps we won't burn it or toss it in a well, but we're a little more nuanced in our disregarding of God's words. So as we look at Matthew 7, we're starting in verse 24. Jesus is flowing out of an argument. He's closing out his sermon on the mount, and he's helping us recognize counterfeit from true at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. What's true, true belief, true Christians, and false belief, false Christians. And so you have right out, right before you've got these two ways. There's a wide way that leads to destruction. It's easy. There's a narrow way that leads to life. He he guards against external deception. You've got false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing. They're hard to see. They look like sheep. Uh, But they'll lead you astray, and you'll know them by the fruit of their lives. If they're following Christ and bearing fruit, you'll know that. You'll see that. 
Then he warns of internal deception. Not everyone who just says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of the Father will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who hear his words and obey them. And then he lands the, the plane of his sermon in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. And I call our attention just the stakes are high in the way Jesus is laying out his sermon. This is a matter of life and death. Your posture and attitude and response to Jesus' words tell a lot about you. And so as we read verses 24 through 27 together, take these words in from our Lord. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So as we look at this, portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it's going to be kind of the springboard into a larger discussion on the rhythm of regularly hearing God's Word, reading God's Word, taking in God's Word. So I want us to see three similarities, the two builders, and one big difference from the start here. Three similarities, two builders, one big difference. Look at these two two builders, both of them in, in the terms of similarities, both of them hear the Word. They're both members of a visible Christian community. They may both read their Bible, go to church, listen to sermons, read biblical literature. They might be able to argue with you about the finer points of theology and then argue for them. They might be able to quote scriptures in life class, answer hard questions, even point you to an answer in God's Word. They may have the Bible app on their phone. They have Bibles in their homes. They have scriptures on the wall. Both builders here the Word of God. That's the first similarity. The second similarity is that they both build a house. They both build a house, which is representative of building a life, building your life upon something. You can build your life on all kinds of things, right? Success in areas, wealth, appearance, experience, Jesus and His Word, personal pleasure. You could toss Jesus and His Word in there just like one of the, uh, the others. That's what concerns us here is that there's just like this similarity to these two houses. They both build a house, and from external appearances, both are the same. Both look like well-built homes. Both look fine. And then the third similarity is that they both face storms. Rain from above, wind from the side, floods from below. They're beat. They're beat. Opposition all around. Life's just hard. Everyone faces storms. None are exempt. Jesus warned us several times of storms, trouble coming, and when he was talking in his ministry, right, he even said things like, I've told you these things so that in me you, ha- you may have peace. In the world you have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And I, I tend to think of these storms as the world, the flesh, and the devil. I always think in these three categories, The world are just hardships in this life are abundant, right? In the world, you may have trouble, Jesus says. It's a fallen world. Sin has crept in. Things 
don't go the way they're supposed to. There's financial concerns, hardships, houses and cars in disrepair, jobs are hard, car workers, co-workers can be tough, children can be wayward, school is not easy, neighbors might be annoying, I don't, mine aren't. Some might be in here, I don't know. <laughs> Bodies ache, if it, maybe I'm the annoying neighbor, I don't know. Bodies ache, they break down, you lose people you love, relationships come undone, earthquakes destroy cities. Nations declare war with nations. Life is just hard. It's full of storms. And in the world you have that, but in your own flesh, temptations abound, don't they? You fight sinful deeds. You fight wicked thoughts. Your own tendencies towards sin keep coming up. Indwelling sin just never leaves you alone. New seasons of life introduce new struggles with sin that you didn't think you'd ever face. The flesh is just active. Storms abound. Or the devil, flaming darts from the evil one, come in. Evil thoughts, evil ideas that you know would never come from you flood into your mind. Or you look around, darkness abounds in ideologies in our culture, false religions, cultural movements. The devil is alive and active. As my former pastor said, life is hard even for those who have it easy. Storms hit everyone. They're an equal opportunity attacker. You can be wealthy beyond measure and feel very stormy. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. So these three similarities, hearers of God's word, building their house, and facing storms. But then the two builders start to give us a little more insight into where Jesus is going. Because the first one is wise. And what made the builder wise? Well, he built his house on the rock. He, as Luke 6, 48 says, with this same parable, he dug down deep. Going down to the rock, digging deep to the foundation is slower. It's harder. takes more time. But it's much more considerate of what is to come, right? It's thinking beyond immediate life, immediate pleasure, immediate house for protection. It's thinking beyond that into eternity, long term. He sought to do things the right way, not the cheaper, faster way. He wanted to build his house and build his life and make sure that what he was building on was true and solid and lasting. And Jesus equates the building on the rock with those who are hearers of his words and then do them. The builder's life or house will endure the storms because he hears the words of Jesus and does them. So that was the first builder. The second builder is foolish. He builds his house on the sand. Now, it's not just easier, but it's short-sighted. It's not thoughtful beyond the immediate moment. It's not considering eternity. He wants the pleasures of a house, the security and benefits of it, but without the initial work of making sure that what he's building on will last. We were hiking in the gorge with a friend this weekend, and she was saying a pastor had come to their church and was saying, talking about YOLO, you only live once. And he said it should be changed to YOLE, 
you only live eternally. <laughs> and the YOLO mentality is saying, like, it's thinking about what's going to last for this lifetime. It's not thinking beyond. It's, it's foolish. And so Jesus equates the foolish builder with people that hear his words but don't do them. So what is the sand? Anything other than Jesus. <laughs> Anything other than Jesus. If you're building your life on it, it's sand. So this person hears Jesus' words but doesn't do them. He wants enough of Jesus maybe for the blessings of Jesus, but not to enjoy or glorify Jesus. He wants the peace of God, but he doesn't really want to delight in the Prince of Peace. He wants the comfort and consolation of a house, of hearing Jesus' words, but he doesn't want to deal with a comforter. He wants guidance and direction, but no need to acknowledge the source, what the Lord says, no need to actually do what Jesus says. He wants the good life now and heaven to come, but with or without the presence of the risen Christ. That's not essential. And the storms reveal which of these two you are. The hardships of life that we're all going to face, we're all going to encounter, reveal what you're building on. I like to ask people who are in the storm, and there's a lot of people in storms, right? It hits us all. What promises are carrying you through? Like what's getting you by day to day? And it helps me to know if they're hearing and holding on to God's word or just relying on their own strength and worldly wisdom. Some people say, I just take one day at a time. And you know, Jesus says things like that, right? Today's got enough trouble for itself. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just one day at a time. But when you dig, are you leaning into the Lord each day? Are you finding his strength each day? Or are you just taking it one day at a time, thoughtlessly? You know, I've, I've had people wrestling with who just, like, how are you getting through this right now? I don't know. It sucks. Well, there's a lot of good hope in the words of Christ that can carry you through and give you more than that, right? It is what it is. I've said that. I've heard myself say that. It is what it is. Well, but no storm's purposeless, right? No storm's purposeless. How is it driving you to Jesus? Or you'll hear somebody, what, storms, what's, what promises are carrying you through? The Lord is my strength. There you go. I like, I like to hear that. The Lord is near to me in my suffering. Yes, he is. He's nearer to you in your suffering than he is when you're not. If the Lord can suffer for me, I can endure hardships on this earth. Oh, amen. Identifying with Jesus, right? I have an eternal hope far beyond the sufferings of this life. That's right, you sure do. Clearly the word of God is instructing you that there's an eternal way to glory far beyond comparison. Or he holds me when I don't think I can take another day. That's right. He holds you. He holds your life together when the storms are beating on your house. Trials make you stronger. God's using these trials to make me more like Jesus. That's exactly right. Or just a simple comment, God is good. God is good. And you hear people say that in the midst of agonizing pain and sorrow, but they know the character of the God 
that they serve and they love. And you see, they have dug deep. They're building their life on the rocks. And these storms reveal one big difference between these two people. Trials expose the fake from the real. Trials expose the true from the counterfeit. Even in this life or in the final storm of judgment, when Jesus comes, our deeds will be exposed and what we're building our lives upon will be made plain, will be revealed. So this one big difference is either hearing and doing the words of Jesus or just hearing. The heart of the matter is, do we do what the Lord says? When Luke opens this same parable in Luke 6, 46, he says, Why do you call me, this is Jesus speaking, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? This reveals the purpose of the parable is to expose like, our attitude, our disposition towards hearing and doing the words of Jesus Christ. And this is consistent throughout all of the scriptures. We're going to be studying 1st John, uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John here in the next few months. In 1st John 2, it says this, By this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Jesus' half-brother James says, But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And James, Jesus' half-brother is saying that. So, you know, you don't really like to learn from your siblings. (laughs) But he caught the core of Jesus' words, Jesus' teaching. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Now, maybe some of you say, I don't, so am I working my way into heaven? Like, I don't, I don't know that I trust Jesus. I'm not sure he's my Lord. Is this, I'm not saying that salvation comes to you by your own efforts or by your works. You, you do not earn your way into heaven through works that you've done. The good works are evidence of a true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a deep love for him as a savior and rescuer and redeemer. So if you don't really know if Jesus is Lord, just think through this with me. And if you know Jesus is Lord, then see how this makes sense, why you would want to hear and do his word. There's great glory in it. There's great beauty in it. So you, you realize this, this God who is holy and perfect beyond us, in a, in a world of his own, in a class of his own, in his perfection and beauty and holiness, And we see our sin in light of this, and we realize we deserve to die. We have not honored Jesus. We have not honored God as we ought to. And then that same God, in his goodness and loving kindness, sends his son to become a man, step into this world, into our brokenness, into our sin. And although never sinning himself, we see Jesus take our sins upon himself and die the death that we deserve a horrific death separating him momentarily from the Father as he takes the wrath we deserve. This, that new song, Jerusalem, personified Jesus so well. It hit me hard. See him there on the tree when his breathe. I don't remember the exact words, but when he stops breathing. 
And he's bearing the wrath of God for us. And when we see the same Son of God buried and darkness cover the earth, we see his disciples wondering, what is to come of our precious Jesus? And then three days later, Jesus shocks the world and the devil, conquers death, reveals himself to hundreds and hundreds of people. Then he ascends to heaven, and from there through his church begins extending out the gospel. And the gospel spreads to all who turn in him in faith, all who repent and believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and lay hold of him are forever saved through Jesus' life and death. And we're all here as living testimony to the power of the gospel. So doesn't it make sense that if we truly believe that redemptive work, that that God who stepped out of heaven and accomplished that for us, doesn't it make sense that you would want to hear from this Lord? Wouldn't you want to hear from your Savior and desire to do His will? And then when, when you return, return from your sin and repent and believe in Him, He sends you His helper, His Holy Spirit, who will give you, reveal to you His truth. And He gives you a new heart and new desires And so you see the folly of your sin, you see the glory of Christ, but then by Jesus' saving work in you, you also have the power to do what he commands by his grace, the power of Christ in us. So we have every reason to love him. And if your heart bristles at being told that you should hear and do the words of Jesus, I just would ask why. Chase down the why if your heart bristles being told you should obey Jesus, because you might find sand that you're building your life on. It won't hold you up in the storm. It won't endure into eternity. It won't last in the face of pain and suffering. Only Jesus will. Only Jesus will. And my goal is not to motivate you in the next next section to read your Bible with guilt, okay? If you heard that we were preaching a sermon on prayer last week and then a sermon on reading your Bible this week, you probably immediately felt guilty. I do too. That's easily, guilt is usually an ineffective motivator. I would love to motivate, though, with intimacy with Jesus, with the weight of his words, and with future glory. Because these are his closing statements on the Sermon on the Mount. Isn't this remarkable that this is how Jesus closes out his sermon? So he doesn't water down what he just said or try to soften the edges of his demand a little bit. He just states plainly that if you build your life on him by hearing and doing his word, you'll be like a wise man. Your life will withstand storms. You'll have stability. But if you don't build your life on him, if you don't hear hear his words and obey them, you're going to be a foolish man, and your life will come crumbling down with the storms of life. And great will be the fall of it. So there's an intimacy, there's a call to hear the words of Jesus, which is relational. Talk with him, listen to him, understand him, hear his promises, hear his wisdom. This is wonderful that you would have this opportunity to talk to the creator of the world. There's a way to it, right? To hear and ignore, to hear and not put into practice, then walk away and build your life on something else, is to consign yourself to a great fall when hardships come and potentially eternally separated from the Lord. Then do them, doing these words, putting them into practice, obeying them by your life, building your life on his, his word, leads to stability, leads to wisdom. So there's a beautiful glory 
that God will give you wisdom and stability here and then an eternal glory with Christ when he comes again. So with that in mind, I want to finish this morning with six helpful approaches to hearing the word of Jesus, okay? Six helpful approaches. We can do this together. All right, number one, I would encourage you to read rhythmically. Read rhythmically. Find a pattern in your life for consuming God's word and protect it if you can. Treasure the rhythm of encountering the Lord in his word. This has to reflect your season. Uh, Maybe a verse for five minutes before the chaos of the day is what you can muster. Maybe you're retired and you can study the Bible for three hours every morning. I don't know. Sounds great. But it has to reflect your season. It also needs to reflect your makeup just who God made you. Maybe in the morning as you ride, you rise, you love to be up early and counter God's word. Maybe in the evening when your day slows, your mind is still sharp. Mine is not. No big decisions should be made after about 8.30 in my household. Whatever works for you, whatever works for you, find something that reflects your makeup and then have a, some sort of built-in accountability, something to keep you in the rhythm Even drummers who keep the rhythm for the band, guess what? They have metronomes. They have helps to keep them on rhythm. That might be hard to believe, I know. But find something that will help encourage you in the rhythm, whether it's a Bible study that you're doing with others or a daily devotional, a practice that you do as you read that helps you stay engaged. I'll tell you mine is writing in the margins of my Bible for my girls I want to present them each, each someday with a Bible that has notes, prayers in, in it. And because God's given me five girls, it's become a very large chore. And it has kept me engaged. As my wife said, you have to do all. If you start on it, you have to do one for all of them. And I said, yes, yes, I do. Um, as Pastor Cam's going through first, second, and third John in the weeks to come, He has a reading plan for you. It'll be out on the uh, Welcome Center out there. So pick this up. Maybe you read over the the section that he's going to be preaching on each morning for the week leading in. Maybe you decide to read the book of 1 John every morning during for a week or a month. I don't know. It really wouldn't take you that long. There's a sermon activity sheet for kids that we put out each week. On the back, there are questions about the text that was preached on, usually one or two different questions. Maybe this is a, a, something you can cultivate in your home on just reading the Word, talking about it. But my encouragement is to read rhythmically because I want you to encounter the risen Lord rhythmically. I want you to encounter Jesus every day. This is not just something mechanical so that you can do it, check the box, and move on. It is good to read the Word. It is bad to do it just because you're supposed to. I would encourage you to still do it, but read because it's the Word of God. Read because God speaks to you through it. Read because He holds all things together, including you. Read because you delight to be in the presence of the Lord. But also, read rhythmically, read prayerfully. As you open the Word of God, begin by just dialoguing, asking for insight, right? Lord, help me hear your Word. Give me understanding. Give me strength to do what you say. But then as you read, respond in prayer to the Lord. Dialogue with the Lord from his word. So maybe you come to Matthew 7, 24, 
And you see, everyone then who hears these words of mine, oh, God, give me grace to hear your word. Help me hear. And then you keep reading. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. Oh, I do need to do them. Give me strength to do your word. And it'll be like a wise man. God, I need wisdom. This is this thing I'm struggling with. I don't know how to do this. Would you please give me wisdom? I'm so thankful that you give wisdom. Dialogue with the Lord, right? Maybe you read that and you're like, I know so-and-so. He hears the word all the time and never does it. Guilty. We've all done that. Pray for him. Let that God, that's God's prompt. Just pray for that person. You think of somebody else that needs to hear this truth. Well, then pray and ask God to give them the truth. And then take heed to your own heart. All right? Maybe you're reading like me, and then all of a sudden you go, God, I just checked out for five minutes, and I don't remember a thing I said. you said. Just tell him what I just did, right? God, I'm sorry. I checked out. Um, can you tell him? Let me reread that. Be, help me dial in here. I have to do that with my wife. <laughs> and she graciously repeats herself. And God's word is written, so you can always go back and read. Um, yeah, just open dialogue with the Lord, right? Maybe you're reading the, you hit the genealogies of the Chronicles. You ever been there? Whew, Lord, this is hard. <laughs> but I pray, Lord, as long as my family line remains on this earth, you'll be faithful to them like you've been faithful to these families here. And then keep, keep plotting, keep plotting, right? I'm just... You get to a tough argument. You know, the Apostle Paul said, Peter said, hey, some of the things that Paul wrote, they're hard to understand. If the Apostle Peter said that, we should struggle too. And if that's the case, that's fine. God, I don't understand Paul's arguments here. Help me figure this out. Give me wisdom. What are you trying to teach me here? Paul encouraged Timothy, take to, to read, think hard about what you're reading. Think hard about these things. The Lord will give you understanding in everything. We're in good company if we struggle to understand the word. Maybe you're reading Ephesians 4 and you read, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And you say, God, I've failed here. As soon as your heart is convicted for sin, just own it. God, I failed here. I was so angry last night and lashed out in sin. And then I went to bed and said nothing of it. Forgive me, Lord, for my anger. Give me grace and strength to seek those for, seek forgiveness from those that I've wronged. Just dialogue with the Lord in prayer as you read. Third, I'd encourage you to read reverently. Read reverently. Approach the word with great reverence and awe that our Lord would speak to us. This is the word of the living God and which should be received with humility and great submission. Resolve to allow the word correct your mind and your ways, not presume to judge the word and disregard its commands. Jesus' warnings about his words here are real. The one who disregards it, who hears it, but then doesn't obey it, will have a great fall. So, So come to this with a a sense of weightiness in the presence of the living God. And I'm about to say something that makes me nervous to say. I tread lightly here. But I caution you, I caution you against using your phone as your primary source for the Word of God. Now, it's not wrong to do so. But I feel I owe you some caution. 
the digital world does not consistently reflect reality and tends to move you away from reverence. There's something about the book that moves you towards this more focused reverence before the living God, more reverenced engagement, whereas this moves you less and less from reality. And if you don't believe me, you can look at my Instagram posts from this weekend when we went hiking. They don't, re- they don't show you the pain and the grit and the grumpiness that got us to those amazing peaks, okay? They just don't. So your phone is often enmeshed with entertainment, information. It's our primary avenue for some of us. It's our primary avenue to our greatest sins. The device often functions independent of the reverence that God demands and deserves. And so you read the word, you get an ESPN update. Oh, I'm going to check that score and maybe read that quick article about it. You read the word, you get a text message. Oh, let me check that text message. Oh, I didn't reply to these two or three others. Let me hit those up real quick too. You read the word and someone shares an Instagram with you, real, and you look at that reel and the next one and the next one and the next, and then and 15 minutes later, you're like, what am I doing? We hopefully don't treat anyone else's words with such careless attention as we do when we're in the Bible app on our phone and easily distracted to other things. So if you do read your word on a digital format, I just encourage you to silence all alerts and stay in reverent, prayerful interaction with the word of God. If you need a good Bible and you want one, let us get you one. We have some here. We can get you. So I encourage you to read reverently. But then read meditatively. Read meditatively or read to meditate. In Joshua 1.8, Pastor Travis just kind of clarified some of the confusion around this. Verse, this is right before the, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Right before that, in Joshua 1.8, Joshua says this, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So as you're reading, this call to meditate, some truth typically pierces your soul. Maybe something else stands out to you. Hold on to that. Grab hold of it. You'll, you'll never remember everything you read, ever. And that's a poor excuse for not reading. Okay? No one remembers everything they read. No one. But what do you meditate on? If the Lord convicts your heart, some verse jumped off the page and just pierced your soul about a sin that you've committed, grab hold of that. Or perhaps you found one truth to be exceptionally sweet today. Man, that was such a good word. I needed that. Hold on to that. Maybe you saw something you'd never seen before in a text. Or maybe something about Jesus stood out to you that you've never noticed before. Hold on to that. Stay there for a minute. Sit in that new truth. Sit in that reality. Ask the Lord to saturate your life with that truth and hold on to it. Hold on to it. Maybe write it down. Put it on an index card and pull it out throughout the day. Journal about it, maybe. Text a friend about it. Tell your kids, your spouse, a coworker. Just generate discussion about it so that you're committing to meditate on and stew on and roll over these truths in thoughtful engagement so that God can work it into your heart and mind and life. Fifth, and this might seem like a long list, but I'm 
a lot of these things just happen simultaneously. The goal here is not to check off six boxes. I just want you to engage the Word of God prayerfully and, and enjoy His presence there. But fifth would say, read to memorize. I have the great benefit of working with Seeds Kids on Wednesdays, and we have to memorize stuff. It's, it's just part of the gig on Wednesday nights. And I'm, it's really, I'm thankful for it because it's a discipline that I think I would neglect without the kids holding my feet to the fire. Um, read to memorize. I follow the encourage to me- encouragement to meditate with an encouragement to memorize because they should probably go hand in hand. Whatever the Lord points you to, hold on to it, right? Psalm 119, 9 through 11 is a sweet text. I'm sure many of you have seen it before. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, one of the sweetest, sweetest blessings of Scripture that you've memorized is that it also creates a really difficult experience because God will often use the words you've memorized to check your sinful desire. And you should be grateful for that, but oh, it's hard in the moment. You're about to look at something sinful, and the Lord recalls Psalm 101.3, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. And so his word graciously checks your sinful desire. Or maybe you're stewing with anger and you're about to give it full vent. You're just about to let loose, set everything right. And James 1.20 comes to mind, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And then all of a sudden this word that you've memorized kindly checks your sinful desire. When you're trying to satisfy your heart's longings with a fictional novel, and the Lord recalls Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will grant you the desires of your heart. His word lovingly checks your sinful desire. So as you're internalizing the word, you can hear from the Lord throughout the day. He brings it to mind. He checks these sinful impulses. So read rhythmically. Just come to the Lord's word in prayer for dialogue with him. Reverently approach the presence of God in his word. Acknowledging the weight of coming to him. Meditate and memorize so that the Lord may bring to mind his word throughout your day and keep your heart on him. But I want us to land the plane here with where Jesus landed the plane on his sermon, which is read to obey. As the Lord instructs your life, ask for grace to obey and then go and do the will of the Father. Go and do the will of the word of Jesus. You read and listen to obey all the time. I know you do. You'll check YouTube experts and do exactly what they say. You'll read instruction manuals and do exactly as they tell you. You'll read online forums and do exactly what they tell you. And how much more can we trust our Savior who is an expert on life and godliness? So, We're about to have a moment of reflection to consider our Lord's words. And when Jesus ended his sermon, he didn't water it down. He just said, are you hearing my words and doing them? And so I'm going to pray. The band will join me as I pray. And then I'm going to read our Lord's words. And there'll be a couple of questions on the screen for us to have some quiet time of reflection.